Last week, I closed the message by sharing uh, with you guys uh, some exciting news that's going on in uh, my life, our family's life. Um, we're going to be uh, moving uh, from this position here to the lead position of the church in Holland. And uh, I got to thinking about what to share today, and I don't know if you've ever heard it said that some things are caught more than they're taught. And uh, it's often said that one of the things, and here in, in Res Life, our goal is to win souls and make disciples. And one of the things that a disciple does is they walk along with someone else as they do life. And when we're discipling under someone, that's what the disciples did with Jesus. They went to uh, where Jesus was. They followed Jesus. They watched as he went through life. They, they saw what he did. They saw how he did it. They asked questions about what he did and why he did it. And then when he went on, they continued to live a life like they. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I thought this might be a good opportunity um, to have a message that'll be a little different. I want to talk about following God, and I want to talk about specifically following God's leading in our call, and as that applies to major decisions. And you can say, well, I can obviously see why you're going to talk about that, since that's what we're going through. But I think it's a unique opportunity for me uh, and for us, so that we can share, and I can kind of um, go a little bit different than usual. Instead of the typical outline teaching style, I want to just share a little bit about our story and then intersplice that with biblical principles about how God leads us, how we know our calling, how we follow out our calling. Is anybody cool with that? So, um, if, uh, if you're new, like I said, this past week um, we just announced that my wife and I and our family will be going to Holland. Uh, Fifteen years ago, Res Life planted a campus out there that became an independent church uh, and has been out there for a number of years. Um, great group of people. I have spoken there ever since it started. I was a missionary. I came back, spoke there a few times, and every time that I would go, I just had an extra, like, attraction to that church, an extra love for that church. And what was, that was God planting seeds many, many years back. And uh, my wife tells the story of this February, before any of this was in any of our minds or, or known to us, we went there just as would happen once or twice a year to be a guest speaker, and we went to speak, and she said, God's told her when she was standing in the front row, this will be your home church. Now, she didn't know what to do with that. The people who were pastors there, we didn't want them to fail. We love them. And so, we didn't say anything. And this is the first of the lessons that I want to talk about when it comes to God's calling and what He puts in and on our lives. You see, a lot of times we think that everything God says for us is instantaneous. It's for right now. But oftentimes God gives us glimpses of our future. And we can look in Scripture and see those. In fact, Joseph was a good example. He received dreams and visions. What happened when he turned around and broadcast that vision to everybody? 
If you know the Bible story, if you don't, I'm going to tell you real quick. Joseph was the youngest of 12 brothers, and he kept having a vision of how all of his brothers and his parents would bow down to him. Now, if we know the rest of the story, we know that 14 years later, it came to pass. But as a young man, he didn't quite understand the concept, so he just blurted it out, and his brothers got jealous. And the timing wasn't quite right. A lot of times, God will put things in our hearts, and they begin to grow. I think I've shared with you guys before, when I was, growing, when I was in kindergarten, I told my dad, I said, I am going to be a missionary. He's like, great. My parents had been missionaries. I was born on the mission field. I came back when I was about five. And so, literally, I was just telling them, I'm going back. And all the way through elementary school, I would tell them, I'm going to go be a missionary. I'm going to do that. And I planned for that, and I did that. But the year before I left, no, technically it wasn't the year before I left. It was when I was in Bible school, about three or four years before I left, uh, God put a new shift in my heart. I knew I was going to go to the mission field, but he began to tell me, prepare to someday lead a church. But he didn't say, go lead a church now. He said, prepare. And so I began reading books and and choosing the church that I would attend based on on what I believed I could learn from them. And that that was 20-some years ago. God planted seeds that began to grow. And I knew, and I've, I've shared that story many times, and I've always been very careful to include the statement, prepare as if, because that's what I felt God said. Not, this is exactly what's going to happen and when, but I'm planting a seed. I want you to, to let that grow. It's interesting in Luke chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, it says, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. This is talking about when the shepherds had come and Jesus had just been born. And the shepherds came and said, hey, these angels just came and they told us that the king of the Jews has been born. And they, they showed up. And Mary had the wisdom not to embroider king onto all of his baby clothes and just run at it. The Bible says she treasured it in her heart. She said, okay, God, you're confirming what you told me back when I didn't even know I was pregnant. And then the angels came and they confirmed it again. And the Bible says she treasured these things in your heart. Some of you here have been told things by God, by the Holy Spirit, that you are treasuring in your heart. He has shared different aspects of what His plan is for your life. And I want to encourage you, just because it didn't happen instantly doesn't mean that it's not still coming. Oftentimes, it takes years. You remember the story of David and Goliath? But before the story of David and Goliath, there's the story of David, and we, really, we could call it the story of, of Jesse's sons and the prophet Samuel. When in 1 Samuel 16, 
the prophet hears that God say, go to the, this man's family and one of his sons is going to be the next king. And he goes and he goes through each and every one of the sons that Jesse brings forward and realizes God rejected each and every one of them. He says, don't you have any other sons? It's like, well, I, I do have this one son who's out there, my youngest son. And I, I always thought, man, that was rough. Why, why did he not think that his youngest son could possibly be the one? The Bible says, in, or David writes later in Psalms that he says, in sin my mother conceived me. Now, some people have thought, well, it just meant that she was in a fallen state of man. But it's possible that he was like, you know, really the redheaded stepchild, you know, like... Jesse didn't even call him because he wasn't even sure that he was as much of the family as others. But God had chosen him. He came. He was anointed king, told by the prophet. Oil poured over him. You're going to be king. And then he left. And what did Jesse or David have to do? He had to go back to the sheep. You ever wonder why his brothers were so nasty to him when he showed up to deliver the food? When David and Goliath's uh, story was taking place, he shows up in the book, I know why you're here. You're just here to see the battle, blah, blah, blah. They were still all bent out of shape about how he had gotten the coveted anointing back then, and then nothing happened. But 15 years later, David became king. Oftentimes, God takes time. And it's interesting, we see stories in the Bible of people who rushed God's timing. If you've ever read the story of Moses, how many of you remember Moses? Moses was born, he was miraculously saved as a child, he was placed in the palace of the, the king, and he was raised, and he understood there was a passion. He obviously understood the purpose for which he was born. Why? Because he had a passion to help the Hebrews. And then one day he's walking along and the Bible says that he sees an Egyptian soldier beating one of the Hebrew slaves. And this purpose that I believe God had already planted in him as seed form, he thought he could fulfill it even by breaking the law. So he ran over there. The Bible says he killed the Egyptian soldier, then buried him in the sand, thought maybe nobody would notice, nobody would care. And then a little bit later, he sees some Hebrews fighting, and he comes up to them and says, why are you fighting with each other? You guys shouldn't be fighting with each other. You, you're not the enemy. The Egyptians are him appearing to be an Egyptian. And they said, are you going to kill us like you did that soldier? And he realized the word is out. And he had to run before. And then he spent 40 years in the desert thinking that that purpose in that plant, that seed that God had put in his heart may have ended. Then we have the burning bush. 
And God calls him back and says, you know what? The time is now. And he came. Do you guys remember the story of Abraham? God shared with him and said, hey, I have a calling for you. You are to be the father of many nations. Your offspring will be like the sands of the seashore. Slight problem, his wife was barren. He wasn't having any kids. He knew what God had called him to do, and he thought he could make it happen by taking it into his own hands. His wife even suggested it. Say, hey, why don't you sleep with this servant? Have a child through her since I obviously can't have one. And maybe that's how you'll become the father of many nations. And he did it. And that child's name was Ishmael. And that child, according to historians, is the father of the Arab nations with which Israel to this day is at odds. It didn't work out well his attempt to take it into his own hands. He needed to follow and obey God as he went. Hurrying God along isn't it. God often puts something in our hearts. It's something in seed form, and then it has to grow. It has to grow, and we need to continue to ask God, hey, what do I need to do? How can I obey you? Sometimes that dream is ours. Sometimes he gives us an incompleted dream that he's had other people working on. The Bible gives us the story of Solomon. Solomon, when he became king, describes, he, he says to God, I am here to continue the work of my father. In that famous story, when God says to, to Solomon, you can have anything you want, what do you want? He says, well, you entrusted this nation to my father. Now you've, you've passed it on to me, and I want to do as well as he has done, and I don't know what it is, so give me wisdom. And God was so impressed that he had asked for wisdom and not riches and fame and, and other things. He said, I'll give you that wisdom, and I'll give you all the riches and fame that you didn't ask for. But it's interesting that Solomon saw that vision as being his dad's vision. But you know who had a vision before that of Israel, of a nation? We already mentioned him. That was Abraham. 1,200 years earlier, God had put that vision inside of Abraham. I want to encourage you guys. God has a call and a purpose for each one of us. And that call and purpose is a long-term goal. He sees beyond just today. There's a saying that says, we often overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do with our lifetime. If any of you have ever, you know, been, had someone show you, hey, what happens if you invest a dollar a day and you just put it in there and it grows and you see, well, not much this week. But when you start as a teenager and just do that, it's like, whoa, I could have been a millionaire. Because we often think 
that what God's going to do through us is going to be all at once in this one moment, and we're going to do nothing until then. We wait and hold back. But that's not usually God's plan. He puts in our hearts either a vision of ours or even gives us a vision that he has been working on through others for years. The Bible says, he who is faithful with another man's, or who, he who is not faithful with another man's, who will give him what is his own? Oftentimes we, we, we sense, you know what, God, I know you have something for me. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that there are countless Christians who still do not have what God wants them to do. In their, God has withheld their purpose because he gave them a bit of something else. They said, hey, help someone else along the way, and they refused. And God won't violate his own principles. He who is faithful with a little will be faithful with much. He who is not faithful with another man's, who will give him what is his own? Oftentimes, what we need is to be faithful with another person's vision. As I look back in, in, in my own uh, life, I don't, I don't know what the future holds. I know that we're stepping into exactly what God has called us to be. We may move over there to Holland and never leave. That might be the culmination of what God has called us to do. It might be that we're only there for 10 years, 20 years. I don't know. But each time that God has shown me something to do and said, hey, I want you to do this. And over the years, I've worked for a multiple different ministries and I have worked alongside of different missionaries and I have been a part of different churches. And whether that was when I was in college and I was volunteering in the youth group of the church that was there where I was at, or whether that was after coming back from the mission field and getting involved on, in in this church and doing things, God, I've said, you know what? I'm going to pour out and be faithful even though this may not be my end all. And I believe that that is why God is moving us forward. He says, okay, you were faithful with what you were given. Now I'm going to give you something else. It's interesting that we often want to measure our success. But it's important to recognize that the only measure of success that matters is our obedience. That's the only one that matters. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have a really powerful chapter. They call it the the, the heroes of the faith. And if you read through chapter 11, you get to see mention of all of these different people from the Old Testament that were mighty warriors for God. I'm going to read starting in chapter, or in chapter 11, but in verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith 
conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead and raised to life again. All of those are some pretty awesome testimonies. It's like, I, if, if my dead family member was raised to life again, I'd call that a success in my Christian walk. How about you? But the very next sentence says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment they were put to death by stoning they were sawed in two they were killed by the sword they went about in sheepskins and goatskins destitute persecuted and mistreated the world was not worthy of them I tell you that is a powerful compliment from God The world was not worthy of them. That, but not every one of them, had we taken a glance at their life, would we have said, hey, that's a success that I want to copy. But God looked down and said, they obeyed. They followed in what I needed for them to do. 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 12 says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. You see, we need the measure of our success, the measure of our spirituality isn't the size of our ministry. It's not the fame of what God has done through our lives. It's not the the lengthiness of our academic preparations. Our true badge of spirituality is the level of obedience that we walk in. Adam and Eve were the closest to God. Not because they had the most education, they had had been to the most Bible school, they had read the most scriptures. The Bible wasn't even there yet. They walked with God. They talked with God. And they obeyed God until the day they didn't. And that is when their spiritual lives, the Bible says that they died spiritually. Their, spiritual, their spirituality suffered when, when they chose to disobey. When we, when we measure ourselves by other definitions, you realize there are things we can succeed at only to discover that wasn't the point. Has anyone ever been watching a game when, when a player gets turned around and like, takes the soccer ball and runs to the wrong goal and makes it in and they're like yes and then they turn around and everyone's like "Ah, no 
you went for the wrong goal. Obedience is the right goal. Stewardship of what God has given us is the real definition of winning. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 through 8 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. When we think about what we have been called to do, when we think about uh, the success that we hope our Christian walk is, recognize it is God who brings that success. Our role, Paul says, you know what? I might water, uh, I might plant the seed, but it's God who causes it to grow. It is sad that it does not take us long to think of examples of people, especially within the church, who were measuring their success, not by their obedience, but by other, some other metrics, whether that was the size of their church or the size of their following or the number of followers that they had or the size of the offerings that they would get or the, the, the fame that their, the and name recognition that they had or maybe it was even the miracles that would take place when they prayed. And they thought that is success. And they thought that so thoroughly that they began to believe one of Satan's biggest lies. And that is, it's okay now for you to disobey. They thought that if they were a big enough success in those areas, well then obedience wasn't required of them. And they began to think things like, it's okay for me to not do this thing I know I should do. It's okay for me to see someone other than my wife. And we sadly can think of examples of different people within the church who thought that success was measured with, by something other than obe obedience and began to disobey thinking they were entitled. Listen, that is never, say it with me, never, never the truth. It's interesting, there's a story in the Old Testament when King Saul loses the dynasty. God made him king and actually in the beginning promised him that his children could rule for generations. But then Saul blew it. How did he blow it? Saul disobeyed. There's a, there's a situation where God sends the Israelites into a certain area and says to, um, to not take plunder. He says, go there. Don't take back with you piles of grain. Don't take their cattle. Don't take um, all of these different things. I want you to leave that as an offering to me. And then he, he tells Saul that he's supposed to you know, wait for Samuel. Well, Samuel is late. And Saul goes in and he, he makes a sacrifice. And the prophet comes. And mad, uh, supernaturally, 
he's able to hear. He says to Saul, he says, why? Why have you spared all that cattle? What is the sound of all that cattle in my ears? And Saul, slick as he was, thinking that he'd had this big success and that made him okay, he said, oh, I only saved those animals, which God had told him not to save, so that I could sacrifice them to God. It'd be like, why did you steal that? Well, because I wanted to put it in the offering. That's why. I I was going to give it to the church. Doesn't that make it okay? And the prophet Samuel responds to him and says, famously, from God, he says, Obedience is better than sacrifice. In other words, obedience is better than any other measure of gifts that we think that we can bring to God. God says, listen, I want your obedience more than anything else. It is is interesting I, I want to get to the point of right when we were, we were told about the opportunity to go over there. And as I said before, God had planted in my wife's heart that this would be our home. God had been planting uh, in my heart for many years a passion for, for that church. And people had asked me before, said, hey, do you think you'll ever take a church? And in my mind, the Holy Spirit would always bring that up. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to name that one because then they're going to think that I'm trying to take it from whoever has it. And as far as I know, it's theirs. And what we didn't know, by the way, was that when God was speaking to her heart as we sat there in February, that God had been speaking to the pastors there since November before. And God was telling them that same morning, these are going to be the next pastors. We didn't know that. We're just sitting there. God's planting seeds and he's planting seeds and he's bringing it together. And we didn't didn't have to push through. We just allowed that. So then the day comes. We don't know anything about it. Uh, The pastors over there had come and they had talked to their board and then they had come and talked to Pastor Dwayne here, who's our pastor and my father, and talked about, hey, you know, what if we were to invite, would it be okay with you if we would offer that position? We don't know. And I remember my dad brings me into the office after a service one day, and he says, I've got some, and you can tell, you know how you can tell when somebody's going to say something really, really significant? You know they're not going to ask you about, you know, the weather. And he says, all right, I've got something big. And he says, I was talking to Jesse and Madi, who are the pastors over there. And he didn't even finish saying what he was going to say, and I already knew what it was going to be. I stopped him, and I said, my wife is right outside. Let me get her so she can hear it at the same time. So I went, and, and we came in, and we listened to that offer. And when I say that offer, there was, that was, there was, there was no formal offer with like, and these will be your hours, and this will be your salary, and this is what you're going to do. And the, no, it was just, hey, they think that God's called you. What do you think? And we didn't have to 
wait, this is, this is one of the biggest decisions that we've had to make as a couple. But you know what? We didn't have to deliberate for, for hours and, and, and create giant pros and cons charts. Why? Because God had planted it in each of our hearts, and we knew, you know what? This is God. And when you know something is God, then you know it is good. Even if mathematically, it doesn't make sense. You know, when the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you, I don't, I don't have to debate whether it's good for me to tithe. I don't have to stop and do the math. Why? Because I know. I know what the Word says, and I also know from experience that when I give, God blesses what I've done. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father in the heaven." lights who does not change like shifting shadows then you can be comfortable with the unknown you can be comfortable with the unknown when you know that every good and perfect gift comes from the father when you know it's god then you can trust that it's good romans 8:28 says and we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I want to encourage you as you allow God's calling and his purpose to grow and develop inside of you, as you are faithful with what he has shown you that you can do now and you work towards that goal, that when that as that grows, you constantly seek to obey. Not to force something, but to obey. Say, God, is there anything I can be doing right now to further your purposes in my life? And when he shows you one step, you take it. And when he shows you another, you take it. And you just move along in obedience, knowing, Ephesians 3, 2 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. When we trust our futures to God, he can do more than we could possibly imagine. I know what's going through my wife's mind right now because every time this verse is said, she says she hears it in Han Solo's voice. Because if you'll remember, there's a scene in Star Wars when Luke Skywalker is trying to convince Han Solo to, to save the princess. And he says, she's a princess. We need to do this. If she's a princess, there should be a reward. He's like, how big were He's like, well, more a reward than you can imagine. And he says, well, kid... I can imagine quite a bit. And then he says, you'll get it. This is what God says. He says, what I have planned for you is more than you could imagine. It's more than you could imagine. And I am excited knowing that God doesn't just work in our lives. He works in every one of our lives. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons, which means he doesn't have favorites. I am not God's favorite. I mean, I know that it looks like it probably. No, 
just kidding. I am not his favorite. He loves you. Loves me. The plans that he has for my life are just as precious and, and important to God as the plans that he has for your life. Those seeds of purpose that he planted in your heart, whether that was last week or back when you were in high school decades ago, The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Meaning, he doesn't do take-backsies. He still has that purpose for you. He is speaking to you. And we've spent time in recent weeks talking about how to hear from God. So, I'm just going to close and I'm going to pray that the next step of obedience in fulfilling your call would be clear to each and every one of you. Would you guys agree with me on that? Let's do. Raise your hands right here. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your call on each and every one of their lives. Lord, I just pray that you would make the next step clear to everyone here, Lord. We ask that you would remind us. Perhaps it's something you've told us many, many times. I, I feel like there's some people here, you've heard it so many times, you've stopped listening and you've ignored it. Lord, I ask that you would refresh that voice, that you would remind them of that thing that you have asked them to do. Something, it may be very small, that they can step out in obedience and begin the path towards fulfilling their call again. Lord, we pray that you would help us to fight against the temptation to compare our, our callings and our activities with others, Lord. We pray that we would each be satisfied with fulfilling and obeying that which you have given us. never know how profound the impact will be from even what looks like it started out small. Lord, I just thank you for it. I just pray that you would encourage them to keep taking steps, practice obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.